Hey, we're glad to have you here with us today at One Chapel. We're a church in Austin that helps people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about One Chapel and the things God is doing here at onechapel.com. Now, here is this week's message. Last week, as you know, we kicked off a new series in the book of James, and it was fantastic. In fact, you've got uh, little uh, booklets for, that go along with the Bible study that we're doing uh, in services, and there's extra content, uh, bonus content here. You can take it home. You can use it for your small group. You can use it for personal study, and I, I encourage you to do that. Uh, they're, they're kind of... Uh, uh, all around the auditorium, every other seat. And then if you need more, you can go in, get them at the lobby area. I think there's some at the welcome table. Okay, so we kicked off this series. And there, there is some debate about who wrote this book. But most Bible scholars believe it was written by Jesus's brother, James. Jesus's brother, now think about, think about being Jesus's, Jesus's? Jesus' little brother, Think about James being the younger brother of Jesus. How much pressure is that? <laughs> I, heard, I heard a really fun comedian talk about it. His name is Michael Jr. He talked about this one time. And it's like, it's like if you think about James being this younger brother of Jesus, you know, uh, younger brothers, they, they do everything their older brother does. So he's following him around everywhere. I mean, <clears throat> and, and people are like thinking... Ah, this is the brother of Jesus. He can probably do all the things Jesus can do, <laughs> but he couldn't because <laughs> he was James. <laughs> he was James, and I, I bet he got sick of people saying stuff like, James, why, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, here's the problem. He, he wasn't Jesus. He was James. His, his name wasn't James Christ. <laughs> that wasn't it. And so you, 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 see, you see this little brother following Jesus as they were kids. You can imagine him and him following him around and doing everything he does. And I bet there was at least one time when James almost drowned. Some of you are like lost. It just went, hmm, hmm. See, Jesus walked on the water. <laughs> James tried to, no, it was going down. <laughs> then he had to swim away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> sometimes it's hard to get that. <clears throat> Jesus could do all this stuff, and, and, and he was like the ultimate big brother in one way, but in other ways, it, it had to be awkward for, for James. Like, you know, I can see his mom, right, just seeing the problem and just like being caring for James and wanting him to be encouraged and... You know, one night at dinner, she's praying, and then she finishes with, in James' name. <laughs> yeah, never mind. <laughs> James had problems. Think about James having problems. And he goes to his parents. He goes to his parents, and he's like, I don't know what to do. And they would say to him, well, what would Jesus do? <laughs> James... James would be like, James would be like, you know, like sick and tr like trying to skip school. He's like, I'm sick, mom. I can't go to school. And Jesus walked by, healed, go to school. <laughs> Actually, 
if we look at if we look at Jesus and James, they had a very complicated relationship. Actually, if you look at the scriptures, what you find is it's clear that Jesus' family didn't really understand him and wanted to restrain him at one point. Think about this. John 7, 5 says, for even his own brothers did not believe him. 1 Corinthians is a book that, written by the Apostle Paul. It's a letter, and it has a list of all these resurrection appearances. And so chapter 15, verse 7 says, then he appeared to James. He had to actually appear to James, and there was a meeting between Jesus and James that opened James's eyes to who Jesus really was. And James ended up growing up and becoming the leader of the Jerusalem church. In fact, he, he ultimately did become a servant of Jesus, the Messiah. Not just his brother, but the Messiah. And even, even, even a martyr, James became for the sake of the gospel. And so James was a really impressive person and got to see up close and personal what happened to Jesus. And so last week we started with an overview of this letter from James and we looked at the importance of growing in spiritual maturity and following Jesus. And so we talked about five things, being positive under pressure, being sensitive to people, being a, a person that's mastered your mouth, right? These are all marks of spiritual maturity. Uh, a person who's a peacemaker and not a troublemaker. And then we talked about how a spiritually mature person is patient and, not, and, and prayerful, not in a hurry and not always pushing through everything. And so, so if you want to hear about that message, you can go back to onechapel.com uh, and you can listen to the podcast. Cast. But one of the things you'll notice as we go through the book of James is this is one of the most practical books in all the New Testament. In fact, people call it the how-to manual for the Christian life. So today, we're going to work through the first chapter, all right? First six verses of chapter one and discover what the Bible has to say about our problems, going to discover what the Bible has to say about our problems. James 1, 1 through 6 says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Now James is writing this letter to the scattered Jewish Christian communities all over the region. And you'd think that James would ease into the subject matter. I mean, when I write an email or I write a letter, I'm like, hi, how you doing? Hope you're doing okay. How's the family? None of that. We don't get none of that. We get greetings, and then he drops the bomb. So James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How would you respond if you got a letter? You got a letter in the mail and you opened it up and somebody said to you, hey guys, life 
is simply the worst. So be happy. That's kind of what, when you, at, at first, when you first look at this letter, it kind of feels like that. But James doesn't stop here. The key is in verse 3. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. I want you to see this phrase in verse 3. You know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance because the lesson for today is your attitude in trials is determined by your understanding of what God is doing. This is what we're trying to figure out today. Your attitude in the trials that you face, in your problems, is determined by your understanding of what God is doing. What is He up to? You don't have to crumble under the weight. You don't have to fake it and pretend you're okay. You have, you, you, he says, consider it pure joy. In other words, there's a, a joyfulness that you can tap into. And you can do that because problems aren't always what you think they are. James gives us four facts of life about our problems. And if we'll understand and embrace them, then they'll help us grow and face the problems that are in our lives. Number one, problems are inevitable. Problems are inevitable. James 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever. Everybody say whenever. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, notice he doesn't say if. Notice he doesn't say if you face trials. Or if you encounter problems, he says, whenever you encounter problems. In other words, you can count on it. You're going to have them. If you don't have any problems in your life, check your pulse. Something very bad has happened. You may be dead. It's part of life. They are a fact of life. This is a broken world we live in. There are all kinds of reasons for your problems. Sometimes it's things you've done. Sometimes it's things others have done. Sometimes it's what the devil's done. Sometimes it's just part of living in this broken world. But problems are part of life. They are inevitable. Now, it is not, problems are not God's judgment on you as some would have you believe. That's not accurate at all. Jesus said, John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. There it is. Jesus makes it clear. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Take courage, another translation says. I've overcome the world. 1 Peter 4, 12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Hey, hey, one chapel. Problems are not an elective in life. <laughs> you don't, you don't, I don't like that class. I want to sign up for a different class. No, they're just part of the curriculum. They're part. It's a required course. You can't skip out on it. You don't get out of them by ignoring them and saying you don't have any. I ain't got no problems, no problems at all. Everybody's got problems. Everybody faces problems. Nobody is immune to them. It's just inevitable. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Nothing but good news here today. Number two, problems are unpredictable. Problems are unpredictable. James 1.2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face, everybody say face, when you face the trials. 
Not when you run away from them, but when you face them. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, that word face in Greek is the word peripipto. Fun word to know and say. Peripipto. And its meaning is to fall into unexpectedly. It's the same word used in the story of the Good Samaritan, if you're familiar with that story, where a man fell among thieves. It was unexpected. Here's the lesson. Trials are not planned. If they are planned, you might have bigger problems, but we can rarely anticipate the problems we're going to experience in life. We don't plan to have a flat tire. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could schedule? You know, I'm, gonna, I'm about due for a flat tire. I think I'm going to schedule it when I have the time. Never happens. We don't plan to get sick. You don't plan to fail a class. I, in college, I did plan to fail one class. At, I just couldn't do it. I was over. But, but you don't plan to fail a class. You don't plan to be in an accident. You don't plan for the death of a loved one. These things, they hit us unplanned and unpredictable when we least expect them. That's what makes a problem a problem. And more often than not, problems are inconvenient and sudden. So something shows up in your life. You're like, what is this? Reminds me of a story about a guy who was riding the subway for the first time and he, he was standing by the door and it was whizzing by and he was all dizzy and suddenly, you know, he'd never been on the subway before so the door opens and he throws up on the first guy in line. <laughs> it was so gross. And then, and then what happens? The doors close and they keep going and the guy's standing there on the platform. What? Why me? What, what did I do? And I think there's, I think there's this idea that Somehow, as a Christian or even as a person who lives in 21st century America, so much of our energy and effort is put into trying to avoid all kinds of problems. We're trying to avoid them. In fact, for the Christian, sometimes it gets a little bit more twisted. Oh, if I could be a good enough Christian, if I could do enough right things, if I, could, if I could read the Bible enough, if I could make myself do the right things, then God will be happy with me and I won't have any problems. I would love nothing more if the day you came to discover that Jesus is the one who could take your sins away and heal you from your wounded yesterdays, I would love nothing more if when that happened that the rest of your days you would have no more problems. It doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen like that. But in our minds somehow, we're constantly trying to escape them. Well, yeah, Pastor Ross, I don't like problems. Here's the thing. They're inevitable, and very often they are unpredictable. Number three, problems come in many shapes and sizes. Read it again, James 1, 2. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The words many kinds in Greek literally means multicolored. Multicolored. Have you ever have you ever stood in Home Depot or Lowe's at that thing of paint colors? It's like all those little paint tabs and you're just looking at them totally overwhelming. Have you ever tried to match a paint color in your house? You're standing there, I have stood there for hours trying to figure it out. There is a thing that, that in this word, 
that, is, that means multicolored, many kinds, means that it's got a lot of shades and a lot of varieties. And problems are this way. They come in these shades and varieties. They vary in intensity. They vary in variety. They vary in duration. They, some are minor inconveniences. It's like little problems. And sometimes we get bent out of shape over the littlest problems. I have a little problem that happens to me from time to time. I lose my keys. Everybody knows it. It's part of my life. My wife knows that I can't find my keys. But if I don't find my keys, if I can't find my keys on the wrong day when I'm in a hurry and I got to get out of the house and I'm behind and I can get so angry and then I start yelling at my kids, I start yelling at my, who took my keys? Who put them somewhere? I always put them somewhere. But it's those little problems. Sometimes they're minor inconveniences, but we get bent out of shape. Others are major crises. They come in more than 31 flavors. Some problems are custom made just for you. Number four, problems are purposeful. Problems are purposeful. James 1.3 says, because you know that the testing, everybody say testing. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. So what you got to get is God uses problems in our lives for a purpose. God is always going to use problems in our lives for a purpose. They are opportunities for his purpose. Problems purify my faith, is what James says. You can, that's your fill in the blank right there. They purify my faith. James 1.3 says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That word testing, the meaning of it refers to the process for purifying gold and silver. To purify gold or silver, you heat them up until the impurities rise to the surface and then there's something that rises, all those impurities come up and they call it dross and they, they, they wipe it, they get rid of it. They get rid of all the dross. And the question is, how do you know when gold or silver is completely purified? And the answer is when you can look into it and see your reflection, right? And God, I think this is what, I think this is kind of what God is doing in our lives. He's trying to make sure he can see his reflection in us. And so there's a, there's a testing and there's a heating up. And the, when the heat gets turned up, the impurities come out. Job 23.10 says, He has tested me through the refining fire and I have come out as pure gold. The first thing trials do to test our faith is to purify us. So when things don't go as planned, our faith begins to be developed. When you don't feel like doing what's right, your faith gets developed right? Now, you don't get perseverance and patience if you resist all the testing or if you don't face the testing without faith. It is, it is responding to the testing of your faith with confidence that you start to realize what God is up to. Because when the heat goes up, something comes out of our lives. Christians are kind of like little tea bags. They put them in, you put a tea bag in hot water and stuff starts to come out of it. For you and me as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, when the hot water comes and we get dipped in the hot water, the question is, what? when you're in hot water, what's going to come out? Problems don't just purify my faith, they give me patience. 
The testing of your faith develops perseverance. James is talking about staying power. Not a passive patience, but, a, but staying power. Something that has endurance. You're going to endure through something. In other words, the ability to keep going. Keep going. You can hang in there. The Greek word here literally means the ability to stay under pressure. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't like pressure. I don't think we, any of us really like pressure. In, fa in fact, we do everything we can to avoid it. We run away from it. We, uh, <laughs> we do everything we can to sort of get it out of our minds. We try to release pressure in all kinds of ways. We drink, we take drugs, we go to Disneyland. There's a lot of different things that we do to try to get rid of pressure, just to get away from it. But how, how does God teach you patience? How does God teach you patience? By giving you everything to go your way? By everything going your way? No, it's when things don't go your way. God teaches you patience sitting on I-35. God teaches you patience in lines at the grocery store. Are you the person that picks the wrong line every time? That's totally me. Every time. I don't know what it is. It's a gift. God teaches you and I patience sometimes by giving us children. No offense, Owen. God teaches us patience during the waiting periods of our life. When we're waiting for something and we just want it to hurry up. Problems also grow my character. Problems grow my character is the final fill in the blank right there. James 1.4 says, perseverance must finish. I like that word, finish. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Listen, God's long-range goal for you and for me, His ultimate purpose in life is spiritual maturity. He wants you to be spiritually mature. God wants us to grow up. He wants you to be mature as a Jesus follower. He, he's interested in your character. Character is his bottom line. I talk to so many Christians who have absolutely no idea about God's agenda for their life. They don't know what he's after. They don't know what he's up to. <clears throat> they, they don't understand what he's doing because they're overwhelmed by their problems. No one's ever taught them or trained them that problems are part of life. And you are a person who is loved, who has authority in the name of Jesus, and you have his help, his peace, his spirit, his word, his life, his forgiveness, his faithfulness. You have it all so you can be an overcomer. Listen, One Chapel, as a Christian, stop living your life as if you're just trying to avoid problems. Those problems, actually, many of them are God's opportunities of shaping you and I. God's number one purpose is to make you like Jesus. God's much more interested in my character than he is my comfort, even though he is really interested in comforting me when I'm facing a problem. Here's where James hits it right on the head. So many people say when something bad happens in their lives, they're like, everything was going so well when I first came to Jesus, but then all these problems came. 
maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe I'm too disappointing. Maybe I'm not even a Christian. Maybe I'm not really saved. Maybe I've missed the boat. Maybe maybe he's really against me. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is always for you. He is never against you. See, no, you're exactly where you should be, where God wants you to be. You're in character development. He's making you like Jesus. But if you don't realize it, if you don't realize that's what he's doing, you're going to miss it. Romans 8.28. I love this. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And it says, and we know that in all things, how many things is that? It's all things. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Notice it doesn't say all things are good because everything's not always good. Some people will tell you you should thank God for the bad things that happen to us. I actually don't think that's true. That's not what the Bible says to do. It doesn't say God is bringing bad things into our lives to teach us a lesson. He's never doing that. He doesn't have to. There are so many bad things in this world that we live in. There's so much brokenness already around. We have so much brokenness inside of us that he's trying to heal. Other people are so messed up. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to create any problems for you. They're in abundance. He's not trying to create problems for you. He's using the problems that already exist. And he's trying to bring heaven to earth inside of your soul. He's trying to build something that is beyond your capacity to create on your own. And listen, people think that God is trying to do bad things to us to teach us a lesson. Listen, as a parent, if that's what I did, I'd be going to prison. That's sick. It's abuse. That's not what God does. As a parent, I do put my kids through some practices, through some disciplines. I send them out to mow the lawn, and they think I'm ruining their life. It's all in the perspective. There are some things that you're going to have to learn and grow in, but what the Bible says is God will, in all things, work in those things for my good, for your good. You've got to get that because this is fundamental and foundational to addressing problems in your life. If you doubt that God is good, if you doubt that he's for you, if you have this opening to the accuser, the devil himself, who would say, you're no good, you can't make it, you're never going to be what God wants you to If you listen to that and you think these problems are somehow God's punishment, you're going to go down the wrong path. You get overwhelmed, you get crushed. The Bible teaches us that God will actually come alongside you in those times and make something good. The daily Bible reading yesterday in the Psalms said that God is close to the brokenhearted. He comes alongside those who are crushed. That's what God does. And here's, here's a promise. Here's a promise. If it's not good yet, God's not done. 
God's not done. The real secret of Romans 8.28 is the next verse, Romans 8.29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Right? So what you have to see is, why do all things work together for good? To make me more like Jesus. That's, that's all the stuff that James says we need to know about our problems. But he doesn't stop there. He tells us what to do when problems come. And they will come. He gives us instruction. Here's what to do when you face trials. Three things, ready? Here's what to do when you face trials. Number one, you rejoice. What? <laughs> James 1.1 says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. Now, hey, 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 pay attention. Don't misunderstand what he's saying here. Don't misunderstand. He's not saying fake it, put on a fake smile, show up at church. Hey, everything's fine. Yeah, it's good. No, don't pretend don't try to like put on a facade and hide how you feel. That is a lot that is how a lot of people come to church. I've stopped uh, making it a practice to just say to people as I'm passing, "Hey, how are you doing?" Cuz really most of the time I'm asking them to lie by saying fine. I raised five teenagers in my house. I hate that word. Fine is a word that's banned from my household. It is not allowed ever anymore because it, it, there's, a, there's a thing here. Now, here's what I want for you as your pastor. I want you to be part of a group of people where you're known and needed. You get, every person needs a group of people that know what's really going on inside of you and will love you through it. We'll walk with you while you're going through it. We'll tell you to, to remember, no, that's not God's punishment. No, he's for you. He's with you. He's trying to help you through these problems. Your friends will help you understand the origin of those problems and how to correct your own actions. Your friends will help you and remind you and lift you up. God never asks you or me to deny reality. He's not telling us to pump ourselves up and ignore what's really happening. He's also not talking about masochism. He's not, like there's so many, like I know some Christians and they say, oh good, I love suffering. I feel so spiritual when I feel bad. It's kind of sick. But there's people who's like, oh, I feel so good when I feel so bad. <laughs> That's not what God's talking about. He's not saying rejoicing for the problem. We rejoice in the problem. Everybody say in. We don't thank God for the situation. Why would I thank God for evil? Right? But I thank God in the middle of the situation. I thank Him because He's doing something for me and with me. One of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible is 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It doesn't say for everything give thanks. It says in everything give thanks. It's a small little world, but it makes profound difference. Why would I thank God for cancer? I can thank God in the middle of staring down cancer because I know he's doing something in me. Because he's working his will in his way. Why would I thank God for that accident? Why would I thank God for the war, hellacious war I'm involved in? Why, why would I thank God for the loss of a loved one this goes to the identity that we understand of who God is as our Heavenly Father. We give thanks in everything because we know that God can 
even take the bad things that happen in our lives, the very difficult things, and bring good out of it. And I don't care where the problems come from. You might have caused them yourself. The devil might have caused them in your life and some history in your family or there may be something that others or society brought on to you that you ran into because of our broken world, but the source of your problems really don't matter. God can use them all, every single one of them, for your growth and His glory. You, and if you, if you don't get that, then you have trouble becoming spiritually mature. Notice, though, it's a choice, James says. Consider it pure joy. I want you to think about this word, consider it, because you, when, you, when he says consider it, he says take a deliberate look at it. Take a deliberate look at it, evaluate it, make up your mind about it once and for all. No, I'm never going to see problems again as something God's doing to me. I'm only going to see God working through them to make me into who he wants me to be. In other words, even though I can't control the circumstances that are happening to me, I can control how I respond to them. You can control how you respond to them. Look at what Viktor Frankl, right, famous Jewish psychologist who was in the Nazi uh, co uh, concentration camps in Germany. Here's what he said. He said, they stripped me naked. They took everything. My wedding ring, my watch. I stood there naked and all of a sudden realized at that moment that although they could take everything away from me, my wife, my family, my possessions, they could not take away my freedom to choose how I was going to respond. You choose how you will respond to problems. James says your choice should be to find joy in the middle of them, to be grateful for what God is doing in the middle of them. And you can choose that. When you face trials, the second idea James brings up is ask. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. When you're in the midst of problems, the, one of the most important things you can do is ask him, how do I need to respond to this problem? Ask God for wisdom. Why should I pray for wisdom? Like, like so many Christians are like, why don't I pray to get out of the trouble? <laughs> why don't I pray to avoid the problems? No, two reasons. Two reasons that you pray for wisdom. One is so that you won't waste the opportunity to grow. <laughs> what a sad, sad state of affairs. If you go through a bunch of problems, don't learn anything out of them. If you don't learn it this time, there may be another lap coming. God will give you another opportunity. Number two, the second reason we pray for wisdom is so you won't be overwhelmed when you don't understand what God is doing. Wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view. It's seeing life from God's perspective. That's why we need wisdom, because it helps us see what he sees so we can understand what he's doing. And finally, when you face trials, relax. Relax. James 1.6 says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Believe in him. In other words, relax. Faith looks a lot like relaxing. It's like you settle it. Okay, I'm going to trust God. 
I'm going to, I'm going to yield. You, you understand that we live in a culture, we live in a society where there's an opioid crisis and so many of these, these, this, the, these people stuck in this crisis are just trying to figure out how to deal with their anxieties and how to deal with the struggle that's in front of them. James says, trust God to know what's best for your life and cooperate with his purpose so you don't short-circuit the process. Don't try to handle it all by yourself. Don't try to rush ahead of him and his process. That's you trusting yourself and leaving him out. It's what we call faith. You're putting your faith in him. You're trusting him. And that causes a settledness to come over you. You can relax as you look to him. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to bow your head here and we're going to come to the Lord's table. And we're going to come to this table because it is the table that Jesus has set. And I want you to think about what you can bring to this table. Your worries, your cares, your anxiety, your problems. Could you come to this table that Jesus has set and could you partake of something divine, something supernatural, somehow, in some very spiritual way, you begin to participate in the life of Christ? His body represented by the, the bread. This broken bread represents his broken body so that you and I can be healed. Bring your brokenness to this table and receive healing from Jesus. This cup, it represents the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of sins no matter how you've handled problems in the past, you can come to this table and you can begin to get a new perspective. Jesus understood problems. He understood the challenges of life. He understood what you're facing and, and he wants you to face them with him and not without him. And that's why he's called you to come. That's why he's called you to this table to receive of his life. That bread represents life. That blood represents uh, life. This cup represents the life of God flowing through you, putting your faith in him, putting your trust in him. I want you to do that today. So Father, we come here and we ask you to speak to us about our problems. For some of us, we, we bring a, a lot of burdens to this table. We bring a lot of problems that we're wrestling through. We don't even know how to, we don't really know how to deal with them. But Lord, we ask you to speak to us now. We ask for your life and mercy and wisdom to flow into us as we partake of you. As we come to you and we give you our problems, as we give you our circumstances, as we give you our anxieties and our concerns, as we give you all these things, and there's a divine exchange. Do what only you can do in us and bring peace. 
bring a settledness. Bring a sense of relaxing. Lord, we ask you to give us wisdom. We look to you with a sense of hope and joy because you love us. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find everything you need online at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages on your favorite podcast player, and you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 930 and 1130. We'll see you next time.